we just see men's lives and health as just less valuable than a woman's. And we're seeing it playing out right now in Palestine, where men and women, children being obliterated in horrific scenes. And I only ever hear about women and children. And I'm like, what are men not being killed as well? Welcome to Offbeat. Yes, I changed the name of my channel. It used to be Lustcast, but I felt that that name didn't really fit for the more serious stories that I'm doing. Like this one, where we're talking about the very real discrimination faced by men and boys. I know it's a controversial topic and it's difficult to talk about without being labelled a misogynist, but it's important that we do because men really are struggling by almost every measure that we look at. So before we get into it, please remember to like this video and subscribe to my channel. It helps me out, but more importantly, it means conversations like this get seen by as many people as possible. For today's episode, I'm joined by George the Tin Man. The Tin Men is an advocacy group for men and boys. We had a wide-ranging conversation about the main issues affecting men, including male suicide, underachievement at school and in the workplace, as well as the controversial topic of domestic abuse by women against men. I know this entire episode is the exact opposite to what we hear in the media every day, and I'm not expecting you to agree with everything that George says. I didn't, but I think it's important for everyone to listen to his arguments because he gives a lot of insight on where men need help. And in many cases, he highlights how the things that are hurting men are damaging to women too. And so by helping men, you can also help women. I'm not an expert on any of the topics that we're discussing. So please just tell me in the comments whether you agree or disagree. Like please share your experiences, your knowledge, and enjoy the episode. When I saw your profile, I was like, wow, what motivates someone to actually start this? Because it looks like a lot of work. Just like an impossible sense of self-righteousness. <laughs> like, I genuinely feel like I could do a better commerce. I could have a better... My account was never to post content. It was more just to be in the comments of other people's pages. That wasn't mm. my name. Uh, and then I'd be like, there'd be a post about domestic violence. And I'd be like, well one third of victims are men and I've not seen anyone mention male victims of abuse, certainly not male victims of female perpetration. And then I would just get the classic, well, go make your own, go make your own page, go start your own conversation. Okay. And then there's only so many times you could hear that before you're like, oh, okay, I will. And this is during like coming into lockdown, lots of free time. Mm -hmm. I have a good creative skill set. I can create good content. And I was like, I can create better content than you. I can create better content than other people in the men and boys advocacy space. Mm. And now I have the time to do it. So I did it because I could. And I have. And yeah, that's and why. that's what we're calling it, men and boys advocacy. Yeah. Well, men's rights activism. I've never considered myself an MRA, but I've also never understood what's the big deal. Like, why is everyone so against that as a concept? My notes for this said, like, we're working title, I met a men's rights activist. <laughs> well, I'm waiting for him to turn up because he's not here. <laughs> but no, I, I, I wouldn't use it. Like, I wanted to check with you if that well, was the right term. I, I mean, I'm fundamentally just against labels anyway. I mm. don't, don't consider myself a feminist. I don't consider myself a men's rights activist. I'm certainly not an incel, <laughs> despite what people say. And uh, I just don't like labels anyway. But that's the thing with men's rights activism is I think they assume... If you say you're for men's rights, mm. the argument is, but men already have rights. And, right. You know, women are trying to get equal to right. that. So if you're for men's rights, you're against women. Yeah, but there's certainly rights that men don't have that women do have. I mean, just go and speak to a father going to family court and ask it. Tell him he's already got rights when he, he literally, there are literally rights that men don't have, that women do have, and vice versa. 
Mm. But uh, I, I just try to avoid this big shit show by just calling myself George and not having a label because I just find having a label always comes with it like it's like a handle with which someone can hold on to you and swing you around and mm. you're blamed for the other people in your group. So I don't, I don't, I'm, I'm, I don't even really consider myself left wing, like I'm centre left. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm a human rights activist, of which half of all humans are men and boys, so I don't understand why men's rights activism is such a triggering term. People compare it to like, oh, that's like being a white, a white person activist or a straight person activist or an able-bodied activist. And I'm like, it's not though. It's really, really not. Like, obviously I'm white and mm-hmm. like being white is pretty much great across the board. Like you're privileged in more or less every single possible way. But as a man, I don't think that is also true. I feel like there are genuine disadvantages for men and boys, unlike being white or straight, where it's just it's just a massive, ubiquitous set of privileges. Mm. So what are the main problems facing men and boys, in your opinion? Um, I mean, a big one, I suppose, like uh, the number one risk to my life and your life and every single man's life you walk past today is suicide. Mm. like um, that's the biggest every time I wake up that's the biggest threat to my life and that's a big one and I think suicide is an interesting one because I don't necessarily see it as a individual issue in its own right I see suicide as more of a a selection of social issues that are dialed up to 10 so I don't necessarily I don't the latest research says male suicide is not necessarily not primarily a mental health problem it's a structural problem where yeah, well, that's not what I think. That's what the research says. Mm. So most men who are suicidal don't conceptualise the problem they have as it being a mental health problem. And yeah, and I mean, the suicide rate for men is higher, isn't it? It's like two thirds, I think. Uh, yeah, of suicides. Seventy-five percent, eighty percent of all suicides are male. So men and boys. So and so, yeah. what does it mean when you say it's a structural problem? Well, I mean. Uh, issues such as experiences of abuse, sexual mm. abuse, especially domestic violence, uh, joblessness, debt, financial problems, relationship breakdown. A big one, Martin Seeger, who's a friend of mine, who's a psychologist, he's linked about 20, 20% of male suicides are linked to family courts and relationship breakdown, losing child custody, like a man losing his child in court, like the thing that's probably most important to him. He's a massive risk group to suicide. And that's not really a mental health problem. That's a child custody problem. A mm. man who loses his job, can't pay the mortgage, takes his own life, he isn't experiencing a mental health problem. That's a financial problem. Like a man who's being abused, like 11% of men who are abused will attempt to take their own life. That's not a mental health problem. That's a domestic violence problem. So that's when I say, I try not to see suicide as its own issue, but more the combination of different issues when the volume's at 10 Mm. And that, that study where I'm citing, they even described suicide as like a rational solution-based decision that men like take to solve the problem, which it does. Yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, I, was, I think we spoke briefly that I lost a friend, mm. a good friend to suicide last year. Sorry. Um, with him, I would have said it was mental health problems, um, but he was depressed because he wasn't rich. Right. In his head. If you didn't have a model girlfriend, yeah. if you didn't have lots of sexual partners, yeah. if you didn't have huge amounts of money and partying and going to luxury places all mm. the time, then you were a failure. Mm. And that was genuinely how he thought. Yeah. 
and my feeling is that there's a lot of men like that and i think instagram hasn't helped mm. and there is this kind of expectation that like you're supposed to be driving a crazy car and and but not many people do <laughs> yeah. but that's kind of the if you look at social media it kind of it feels like that's how you be a man yeah is you need to be successful and rich and athletic yeah and with him it killed him well i'd, I'd still say that's certainly not unique uh, a lot of people have that problem a lot of men have been uh, that, that cause a lot of destruction to a lot of men's mental health and uh i would say that's a structural societal problem where expectations are placed onto men men are valued for certain things such as being successful driving a bugatti veyron and uh being a millionaire and a lot of men can't reach these goals so they they blame themselves they internalize that and i don't know i guess some people reach that limit and they're just like their self-worth is so dependent on something for which they can't really control mm. that they decide that life's not worth living. But I'm not saying mental health plays no role. Yeah, because I, I was assuming that that is a mental health issue because he had depression mm. because of that. I mean, that was his trigger for depression. Yeah. But maybe if it wasn't that, it would have been something else. Right. Well, let's just say suicide is moderated by mental health, not mm. necessarily caused. And what I guess the point I'm trying to make is that there's more to male suicide than mental health. Mm. There are genuine, genuine problems that men can't control. And this idea that men need to talk more, cry more, express themselves is obviously an important point, important solution. But it only really helps them deal with the problem. Often the problem itself is something that they don't necessarily have control over. Like, like painful experiences of abuse, for example. And I'd, I'm very apprehensive about saying male suicide is in your head only mm. and can be solved through like a solving of a toxic male mindset because there's more there's far more to it including your friend like I'm, not, I'm not trying to say your friend, yeah, yeah, yeah. friend's experiences aren't valid they're, they're more than valid and something a lot of men share but they're just I'm trying to widen the picture yeah and I do agree with you that the child abuse issue that does seem to carry over I do unfortunately know someone that not a friend but friend of a friend mm. that killed himself for that reason it just eventually got too much you know yeah like he couldn't yeah you know, he tried everything um he was like an alcoholic drug addict but it was all caused by childhood trauma and uh you know when he got sober he couldn't live that way mm. um so i do think that's an issue but i when you say about you know family courts losing mm. custody of your children being an issue i guess my instinctive response is to think, well, there must be a reason they lost their family. Like, if your wife is divorcing you, yeah, probably a good reason for it. Uh, and if yeah, you're this is if you're losing custody to your, of your children, in my experience with the women in my life has been mostly that fathers are quite absent mm. rather than pushed away. Well, I mean, that's an interesting conversation we can have around absent fathers, for sure. But, I mean, legally, fathers don't have equal rights in the UK. That's that's just a matter of law. Is that That really? is a matter of law, yeah. So, Children's Act of 1989, which basically, in, in the UK, technically, it's called parental responsibility, not parental rights. Mm -hmm. If you have parental responsibility, you decide more or less everything that happens to your child. You, The name, the school... Where where he or she lives, uh, religion like if it if it's given up for adoption, 
how you ultimately have control of that child. So by law, a mother has full parental responsibility to her child, whether she's married, separated, divorced, single, doesn't matter. Mm. But a father has to be married or has to be named on uh, the birth certificate. Yeah. Both of those things, the mother can choose not to marry him or choose not to name him, in which case no responsibility, no rights. But if he's on the birth certificate, he does have right equal rights but i mean even then i would say i would say the family courts would look less less favorably upon him yeah yeah that's thrown me because i i was assuming that men do have equal rights well i mean people yeah well that's why my, that's, i guess that's why my page exists to people assume a lot of things that are not necessarily correct but i mean it's a matter of law we can bring it up uh it's e- mm. easily available the children act of 1989 and how big a problem is it? Because, like, like I say, for me, I don't know any, you know, I know plenty of divorced people, but I've never heard of a father struggling to access his kids. Not personally. Obviously, I know it happens, but I know, and I've heard of a hell of a lot of men that don't have anything to do with their children or don't pay or refuse to pay. Mm. Um, I know someone where the father's very wealthy, clearly fiddling his taxes, and the child the social services they refuse they say oh we can't we can't flag it with hmrc to investigate so the person's just getting like 11 pounds a week right for and the guy's just absent you know yeah yeah and i think that's like incredibly common and i'd Mm. say so i'm just i guess surprised that there would be father i thought if a father wants to be involved with his children like it would be welcomed and unusual and recognized well but i mean a lot of a lot of parents don't want to share the child with the other parent a lot of them, like if if you're being divorced, a lot the mother or father may be like, "I want to have full custody of this child," uh, and in that case, like that's where the father would often lose that right. And I'm, not, I'm not, again, I'm not trying to say what you're describing doesn't exist. It certainly does. Mm. I'm, my my whole account is about trying to add to the picture rather than deny the other half. And absolutely, there are certainly some awful dads out there. But there were some, certainly some awful mums too. Of course. And I mean, again, if we can look at the data, I only have the data for this from America, but women are even less likely to pay child support than men. So fathers, fathers are awarded less than mothers and they're paid less as a percentage of that too. So awarded less and paid less. Mm. That's not to say they don't exist. They certainly do. But they're deadbeat mums and deadbeat dads. It's not, it's not yeah, a one-sided yeah. thing. That, no, I agree with that. I yeah. definitely agree with that. That there's plenty of horrible mums out there, yeah. um, just as many as there are horrible fathers. And also, it, it goes, I've got, to, got to say as well, family court is unique in the sense that it's private, it's secret family court. So, very little insight into what's going on. No real press access. No sort of overview. Mm. It's difficult to know what's happening because because of the protection of the child, you're not allowed access. All you see is like a black box, and then parents going in, and then parents coming out without children. So. A lot of the conversation is speculative hearsay, uh, but there's certainly a lot of evidence that fathers are not treated equally, and not just in family courts, but in all, in all court, like in all areas of the criminal system. What's the evidence that it, they're not treated equally in family courts? In family courts? Mm. I mean, there's, there's very little. Like as I mean, it's mm. very difficult, but in, in criminal courts in general, like a, a, a woman and a man going into court having committed the same crime with the same criminal record, she's going to be treated more favorably than he is. Really? Yeah. Like that's, that's a Ministry of Justice report. So that's a report by the Ministry, Ministry of Justice itself and the exact figure 
is the man is 88% more likely to be sentenced to prison under, quote, similar criminal circumstances. Wow. Yeah. That seems kind of crazy. That's structural sexism, by the way. That's structural sexism Mm. against men. Why is that? Is that because the woman's expected to take care of her children, I guess? That is part of it, yeah. That is part of it. People see women as uh, more maternal, more needing to raise children, or less capable of crime, or more innocent. Uh, They sort of deprive her of autonomy almost well yeah they basically don't think she's as autonomous as the man or maybe she was pushed into it maybe she had no choice even like, the other day a woman stabbed her boyfriend to death 108 times died didn't even get prison sentence she got 100 hours community service what yeah where so, was that in america oh yeah but, I mean, that like, seems insane le- less than one hour community service per stab which is i just don't think you'd see that the other way around and no. if you read the if you read the actual article about it, Google it if you don't believe me. Uh, a lot of the article was saying, well, she's in some sort of cannabis-induced rage and this and that, and all of it's trying to alleviate her autonomy and agency over her decisions. Yeah, I mean, I do think if someone stabs someone was a hundred and eight yeah. times, yeah. that maybe prison's not the answer for them, well, in that it is like a mental health issue. No, but I think I, they should be spending time in a institution yeah i'm i'm getting help i'm anti-prison too mm. i don't think it helps anyone uh, but i also don't think community service is the answer to her either no. like that is it seems so wrong. insulting yeah <laughs> uh, i'd say she needs psychiatric help or psychological help right. in america it's the same it's like mm. women are twice as likely to avoid prison and men get 63 percent longer sentences for the same crime that's professor sandra star uh, and then again, I have to also say, like, it that intersects with race. So black people are also treated more harshly. Mm. Not as harshly as men. It's about 10% more. So 63% more for men, 10% more for black people. And if you're a black man, you pay that price twice. So you'd he think, compounded. Pro- yeah, you'd think that there's controls for that these days because we're so sensitive to making sure that things are fair. Mm. And, you know, I thought that's what sentencing guidelines are for. You know, you commit this crime, this is the guideline. Yeah. So it's surprising. Is it a capacity issue? Like, are there just less women's prisons, so there's less spaces? Well, uh, I mean, prison system overall is at capacity. It's beyond capacity. Mm. Some, some time ago, we went way past that. But there's certainly a lot of campaigning to close women's prisons altogether. There's people that think women shouldn't go to prison for any reason. Oh, I think some should. And I'm just like, yeah. <laughs> I... I I don't think people should go into prison for non-violent crimes, certainly not drug-related crimes. That goes both ways. I just, I do not understand why this movement to uh, change a prison system is only talking about women's prisons mm. when they make up about 5% of the prison population. I'm like, surely it's mostly men in prison, so surely we should be talk, talking about them 95% of the time, not just women. And it's, I don't know, it's a very one-sided conversation, especially about an issue where it's almost entirely men being impacted. Mm. I mean, men do commit a lot more crime. Yeah, but not 20 times more. No, but because they're committing more, maybe is it is it that, okay, it could be something weird, like um, maybe there's a lot more repeat offenders with men, for example. Yeah. So that could be skewing the data. Before, I mean, before we go, are you going to use the same argument for black people who are also represented? No. Well, then. No. Well, okay, that's a good uh... point. You got me. <laughs> but... No, you I'm, are I'm right. Just, I mean, obviously, I'm, 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 happy to, just, I'm happy to admit. Yeah. I mean, I've been an idiot to not say men commit the vast majority of mm. crimes. 
but they don't commit 95% of them. Yeah, I just feel like I have to just question things just because, you know, I do just have like a very nice middle class life. Um, I've come back to England (laughs) after living in a third world country and things that just seem so nice and so fair and so egalitarian here. So to hear that, it sounds quite shocking to me and really surprising. And so I guess I'm looking for a justification for it. I mean, I've done the maths. I've actually got posts on this Mm. because uh it wasn't always this way like men were not this over represented in prison like they've always been overrepresented, but not 20 times more like 100 years ago i think it was like 10, 20 times more. so 95 percent of prison population are men if not more slightly more maybe 97 percent uh it wasn't always that way the graph for men incarcerated men's gone up women's gone up too but it's not not stayed the same mm. so just, just it's more in absolute terms, but more as a percentage of the overall population um, of prisons. And I mean, there's reasons for it. The reason is men commit more crime, about 60%, 70% of serious crime than men. But they're also treated more harshly in, by, in court, in the way I described. Mm-hmm. They get longer sentences. And the more, they're less likely to be released early as well. So it's basically a combination of those different things. One of them, more crime, but also they're not treated as fairly. And I mean, again, there's research on that. Yeah. And so what's the solution to that? Is it send more women to prison? I want to see... Oh, like what? Uh, no. <laughs> no. Well, I, I mean, we had a really great study into uh, institutional misogyny in the Met Police in the UK. Mm-hmm. And it's found that the Metropolitan Police of London is misogynistic. Uh, I thought that was a great study. Very, very needed. Certainly something I agree with. Absolutely supporting that. But now I want to see another study like that into the criminal system. Mm. Is it is it sexist against men in the way that I've presented data? Like if the Ministry of Justice are saying that a man going to court is 88% more likely to go to prison, having the same criminal history as a woman, is that basis to have a investigation? I think it is. And I want to see that into the psychological industry and I want to see it especially into the domestic violence industry. Mm. Mm. So is it like maybe because men are seen as more of a risk to the public? Yeah, yeah. We we give men more too much agency. We, we think they're responsible for not only their, their own actions, but the actions of other men. So whenever there's a crime by a man, often we talk about male violence and men as a group are held responsible for the actions of a man they've never even met. How so? How do you mean? Well, I mean, like if we could look at the case of Sarah Everard, okay. which you may be aware of where a horrible... A horrible murder, uh, a sexual assault by a police officer, which probably spurred the investigation. Mm-hmm. Well, Wayne Cousins, obviously an absolute piece of trash, horrible, human, one of the worst people you could possibly imagine. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've totally forgot what the question was. Oh, just how can a man be responsible right. for someone Right, so that, that started what was a, a massive uh, cultural panic around men as a group, where men need to take responsibility for other men and Men need to hold hold the men accountable, and this is a men's problem. And it was just like a huge a hysterical cultural fear, fear mongering, cultural panic around men as a group. So men are held responsible as a group for the actions of Wayne Cousins. That happens all the time. And uh, and then in the case we exam- explained where a woman stabs their boyfriend to death, she's not even held responsible for her own actions. Mm. So a man's held responsible for the actions of everyone else. So like the the patriarchy, I suppose you'd call it. But a woman's not even held responsible for her own actions. And people say that's sexism against men. 
people call that benevolent sexism, where we see women as like this kind, beautiful figure. She can't do anything wrong. Just a princess all. There, mm-hmm. there. We infantilize a woman. Basically make her a child. That's quite demeaning to women. Yeah. And I'm not saying that isn't true, but I hate, I do hate that perspective because it also, it's also partly the fact that we just see men as inherently evil or toxic or whatever else. But how much do you think that's penetrated our culture? What? The kind of seeing men as evil or toxic. Well, uh, enough to change the way our courts treat men in sentencing. Oh, so you think that's one's caused the other? I think, I think, I think the fact that society sees men as inherently evil, mm. a, a large amount of society believes in patriarchy theory, which quite literally is naming everything bad in the world after men. Yeah, honestly, when people mention the patriarchy, I mm. kind of just zone out because I'm not really sure what I it is no. or <laughs> how it works. It or... depends on who you're talking to. I mean, it means yeah. something different to every, someone, whoever you're talking to, it's some, it means something different to everyone. And I just think there are better words to be used. We can we can use like more modern language, mm. more more. I always think using patriarchy theory to solve or understand various different social issues is a bit like using a, a sledgehammer to fix a, like a broken watch, like it's just like a really heavy-handed tool of just smash, 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 smash. But instead of like meticulously opening up that watch and using different tools of psychology and anthropology and economics and stuff, like we're just using this very blurry ideological view that we, even I, you and I probably can't quite agree what it even is. I genuinely don't know what it is. Uh, <laughs> well, but I, I, I lived in, like I said, I lived in Hungary for yeah. a long time. And honestly, like when I see these kind of feminist debates online and complaints yeah. about men in Hungary, I'm agreeing with them because, yeah. you know, being groped on public transport, yeah. completely normal happens to every girl there. Um, sexual assault, like, rape is practically mm. legal in mm. Hungary. Um, I think the girl has to prove that she fought the guy off, you know, yeah, which is not realistic for most sexual assaults. Yeah. Um, well, and it is, I mean, that isn't even necessarily true. Like I heard that 50%, the recent study found that 50% of 18 to 24, 24 year old British people believe you have to have, unless you fought off the perpetrator, it's not rape. That's the UK. Yeah. Half of young people believe that. Yeah. Which is absurd and shocking and terrifying. I mean, it comes from the Bible and it's this very ancient belief. But I mean, but... Uh, to, to also concede to what you're saying, absolutely. There are certainly, part, there are certainly cultures in the world that are patriarchal. Mm-hmm. And there are certainly times in history in this country that were patriarchal. But is the UK in 2024 patriarchal? I would say no. Yeah, I would say no. Like I said, I, I came coming back to the UK, like moved my podcast from Hungary to the UK. And asking girls these questions, thinking they're going to complain about men, complain about the patriarchy. Well, they don't. They just say that they're just, I think they see themselves as equal. They act as equals. Yeah. When I'm in a bar or cafe, like girls buy around. It's just normal. Yeah. Uh, No one's expecting me to buy them dinner. Mm. No one's expecting any traditional values. Some some of them do. Very, very very few. I, I, I have a very positive view of the UK relatively speaking less less positive as they used to and but, yeah the people i'm meeting the women are out earning most yeah. of the men i know yeah some in 2015 like young women out earned men uh and there's been huge progress so much progress that women have overtaken men in many places like mm-hmm. education which we can come back to uh hiring bias i talked about recently biggest study ever done into hiring bias has found like for the last 10 years or so 
women are the ones being are the beneficiaries of hiring bias now men are the ones that are missing out in hiring so again two women man and woman applying for the same job same experience she's seen as more favorable now so it's flipped depending that could just be because she's better no so the same so they basically it's all like a b testing they basically apply to the same job same similar cv similar experience one's a woman one's a man Oh, okay. And they measure that, and hundreds of thousands of applicants. They've, they've hundreds and hundreds of thousands over 40 years across maybe a dozen countries. Massive, biggest study ever done. And it's found the pendulum has sort of swung. And it was like, yeah, in the 80s and 90s, start of the 2000s, women certainly were discriminated against. But now we've done so well, which is mm-hmm. a really great sign of progress. And, but now it's gone so far that men are the ones being discriminated against in hiring bias and boys at school. And do you think that's active or just an accident? Uh, I think I think we just seem well, set. We just seem to think that sex and no, sex and can only ever go one way, and we just need to sort of reevaluate, look at the latest data, and be like, sometimes certainly are issues that women experience still that need to be addressed, but we need to look at things a bit more, delineate a little bit more, and have a bit more of a high definition conversation. Mm. But it's interesting you said about Hungary because I have. I mean, I I didn't. I haven't lived in Hungary. But my mum did grow up in Zimbabwe and mm-hmm. she's she instilled in me a very similar mindset. <laughs> and like Zimbabwe, one of the poorest countries in the world. And uh she's just like, You're not oppressed. No, no, I'm like, no, no. like I women in women in the UK are not oppressed. Mm. But women in Zimbabwe, different matter. Women in all over the world definitely can be and are oppressed. Uh so I find it I find it very insensitive. For people to think they're oppressed in this country today when there are so many people who are genuinely oppressed all around the world right now mm. and no one talks about them and so do you think the conversations around feminism and women's issues are hurting men some of some yeah some of them yes sometimes no i mean it depends what we're talking about like with the um like with men being discriminated against at work yeah for example um, is that because of putting so much em- of assuming women have been discriminated? I think I think some parts of the feminist movement have left men behind in certain areas, and they've not updated their viewpoint. They're sort of stuck in an ideological trap where everything's the patriarchy. And to be going back to your definition of the patriarchy, to actually look at the patriarchy, the etymology of that word means father, ruler. So patri, father, archy, dominator, ruler mm-hmm. means rule of the fathers. And I'm like, well, I've already established that fathers don't even have equal rights. So what sort of ruler doesn't have equal rights? Doesn't doesn't make sense in that capacity, but uh it's just difficult because feminism is a massive broad church. There's so many different yeah. types of feminists left wing, right wing, liberal, radical, uh Marxist feminist, trans exclusionary feminist. Like, there's so many different Yeah, they areas. don't all agree. I can't possibly give you an answer to that unless yeah. you want to have a specific conversation. Otherwise I'll be falling into my same trap. I'm trying to Mm. I'm trying to have a higher resolution conversation. That's true. So if you want to detail that, I'm happy to answer it. But I would say in certain issues, such as domestic violence, some of the some of the frameworks that feminism has provided to us, such as the Duluth model, actively erase men from being abused. So Duluth paints every single abuser as a man, every single victim as a woman, in black and white. Like it's that, and I mean black and white. That's how it works. This is the one because I think in. Print, like I'm pushing back on a lot of your, like yeah. a lot of your points, just because I think that's a good thing to do. Of course, even if I agree yeah, with yeah. you, please do. Um, 
But this is the topic that I was nervous about bringing up. Yeah. Is domestic violence against men. Because yeah. I, I guess this is the one where I find it hard to agree with. Um, good. Good. That's so, good. like, is, like, domestic violence against men, I would say it's very different to domestic violence against women. So different that maybe it should have a different label. What do you mean by different? Like, I, less severe or, like, sm fewer? Like, so when my... I I am very very close to some women that mm. have experienced domestic violence, mm. um, and seeing and it it's a pattern like with men that abuse women, mm. it tends to be like they go through this pattern of breaking them breaking them down breaking their confidence, um, controlling them sexually controlling what they mm. wear isolating them from their mm. friends and family, um, gaslighting them making them think that they're the one that's abusing their mm. partner. And also rape, mm. like using rape to control them. And I've only ever met one man that was in an abusive relationship with a woman. And it was horrible, mm. but it was very different. The aim of it was very different. It was okay about control, but it wasn't, it was about controlling, just keeping him manipulated, keeping him broken. Yeah. But it was very different. Yeah. Um, there I... was violence, but he could fend off the violence. Like, I think in most male-female relationships, mm. even if the woman is attacking the man, the man can overpower the woman. And I think that's what makes I a difference because his life is very rarely threatened because um, he knows that he can overpower her if he needs to. So I think that's why we have this kind of like, I guess, get out of jail card, you know, like <laughs> this insurance that we know we can stop it. Yeah. I mean, well, I would say what, Although, um, again, I don't deny your anecdotal experience. Mm -hmm. That is not reflected in the data. Like, it's not... Like, the, the, the current data, uh, again, please look it up. Um, one in three victims of abuse in the UK is a man. One in three. It's... Uh, and, and if anything, that's an underestimation. But... But is this including, like, childhood abuse? Uh, no. So, but I believe the number is 2.9 million men in their lifetime will experience abuse in the UK. I guess and that's my 5. Issue with 5. this... 5.9 million women. So I guess my issue with this is a typical male abuser, he will accuse the girl of abusing him. And I right. wonder how many, how much of that data is just simply abusive men claiming the opposite. Because we, how do we, and how do we filter for that? Well, know? it's an interesting, an interesting chance to talk about what's called bilateral abuse. Which again, people seem to want to deny, but that shows that half of abusive relationships are mutually abusive. So bilateral abuse, meaning both partners are abusing the other. Mm. So you're basically creating a, what's called a cycle of violence where both partners, and it escalates. Like, you know, arguing becomes shouting and shouting becomes shoving and shoving becomes slapping and slapping becomes punching. And both partners are feeding into that cycle. 50% of abuse is bilateral. Mm, I, I guess I just it just makes me uncomfortable but, to, but, just because I just seeing well, I know it's I know it's only anecdotal only anecdotal evidence I have. Well, I, I have I have a friend who mm. if he wasn't home by six o'clock uh, in the evening his dinner would go in the bin mm -hmm. and he would have to sleep under the dining room table. So are we going to compare anecdotes here? or Are we going to talk about actual data? Because I mean, again, by no means I want to deny everything anything you said. But there's millions of men, literally millions of men, who have been and are being abused, who have a right to have a conversation too. And how are they being abused, for example? 
physically abused, emotionally abused, coercive control, sexually abused. Like it's interesting, he brought rape into the equation because legally women cannot rape men. Uh, so they're, men are just excluded from that data entirely. We can talk about that later. I guess I struggle to imagine how a woman could sexually abuse a man, I guess. I know that as it sounds like, maybe it sounds ridiculous to you, but I guess, and it could just be my biases, um, but I just, I struggle to imagine it. Well, you know, I, I struggle to comprehend it. I'd say you're in a very privileged position to not understand that, mm. because often it comes from experience that you are able to understand what I'm talking about. But um, again, like it's important to talk about the data and the data is on my side, unfortunately for you. <laughs> it's just, mm. It just is. And I'm also got to talk about the fact that although women are don't report, not every woman that's being abused reports, even fewer men report. Like I think men are about two and a half times less likely to report their abuse as women. Uh, so that, again, that that changes the data. So when I said one in three victims of abuse in the UK is a man, that likely is an underestimate because men are less likely to report. So those men who are not reporting are not showing up in the data. Again, women also don't always report. Also a problem, but men are less likely to report. I do think like one of the tragedies is how men don't report sex crimes and yeah. abuse crimes. Um, and because men, a huge mm. amount of men do get raped by other men. Yeah. Um, and a huge amount of men are abused as children by men and mm. women. Um, but who's the number one abuser of children in America? Men? No. Mothers. Oh, like actual women. just physical abuse. Yeah. Like yeah. And again, happy, happy to, it's also, that's, that wouldn't that, surprise it, me. That doesn't, but also women spend more time with children in America. Mm -hmm. So that, that you have to take into account, but. Yeah, and then that could because it'd be a lot of like single parent households, for example. Yeah, that might skew the figures. So, or... Just by the fact that more women spend more time with children is going to lead to that, but can't deny the fact that by absolute numbers. Mm. I didn't think of that actually. No, but there's there's a lot of things that people don't think about, and that's these are some of the gaps I'm trying to close and fill in with data. But all of the biggest and most respected domestic violence researchers, and I can name them: so Murray Strauss. Who invented the? Who founded the field of family violence research? Erin uh, Pitsy, who wrote the first book on domestic violence and opened the first refuge for domestic violence. He was a friend of mine. Richard Jealous, uh, same, did some of the biggest studies in domestic violence ever done in America. Susan Steinmetz wrote the first, um, did the first study on male victims of abuse. All of them are on my side. They're all mm -hmm. here with me. I mean, most of them have passed away, sadly, but. They all, they've, also, they've all said it is not a gendered issue, never has been a gendered issue. Uh, it's, it's a very complicated issue of like learned family behavior, often generational. I can see that. And like, people tend to pick partners based on what their, what their normal is. Yeah, you know, I'm, 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 when I say that, I mean like, you repeat, the, you, you, you learn and repeat the patterns mm. of your childhood. Murray Strauss, who is just, his research is amazing. He compiled 200 surveys and studies uh, over 30 years that said it's not gendered. Women and men do it equally. So not even one, he said 50-50. And, and he said the biggest, the biggest cause of domestic violence and the most ignored cause, spanking children in childhood. Mm. He's like, you're learning, like you're teaching that child that he can solve problems or she can solve problems through violence. He mm -hmm. can correct misbehavior through physical violence. And that is what domestic violence is. Like you're so-called correcting the behavior of your partner through physical violence. And if you're spanking your child, you're literally 
teaching them that. I agree with that. I don't believe in um, Nor do I. Like, physical punishment. Nor do I. And uh, that's what he said. And I've never, I've never seen a domestic violence campaign about spanking children, which is still legal. In I think in, in Scotland they made it illegal, didn't they? In Scotland and I think in Wales, illegal. Thankfully, in the UK, in England, they've it's not. It's it's it's, it's it is crazy how you can hit your child, yeah, legally. And yeah, yeah, and, no, and, it is. And it's, crazy is still how the domestic violence industry have not shared that information. Like it's why would you not? It's and I guess a lot of people kick kick off a lot of. I think, um, let's say people that are saying this is like a women's only issue or that the women's issue is more important than the men's domestic violence issue would push back and say, but a lot of women are murdered by their partners. Oh, oh yeah. Just, Whereas, can I ask you? So many. Can I, can you put are. a number to that? Because I know the answer to this already, but what percentage of domestic homicides are men? Out of 100, out of percentage wise? I would guess about 70 or 80. So, men killing women. Yeah. Yeah, that's actually it's 77%. So, yeah, congratulations. But are you saying that those 23% of men who are killed by their partners, are they not? Should I they would, not? I would guess a big proportion of those. Self-defense. Yeah. Yeah. Self-defense or um, just had enough. I remember, um, it, it, I, I, without naming names, but I remember someone telling me about when um, their grandmother like left their partner and it was like you know an alcoholic husband um abused her beat her mm. and then one day she just got the courage to just when he was sleeping just to Bats hit him it, over yeah. the head with a frying pan walk out the door and never see him again yeah and i think this is the kind of story you hear a lot that eventually there's like it, a walk away moment it, that is but it's based on an element of truth in the sense that bilateral abuse like bilateral abuse and mutual violence uh, like i said half of all abuse is both partners doing it and then the other half where we're talking about non-reciprocal abuse so one partner's doing it 70% of that's by women and then 30% of that's by men and then of that 30% only uh, 30% of that is uh, serious male only violence so actually this meme of like the, the seriously abusive man on his own is a very small percentage of all abuse I'd say there's not many females that I know that haven't experienced one abusive partner in where they've got physical. And I can't say the same, or at least unless they're just not reporting. But if you, do you think like you're creating your own echo chamber there? If, you, if, you, if you're holding on to this belief that men can't be abused or if they are, it's insignificant and if they are, it's, they deserved it through self-defense. Do you think you're creating I don't think a, they deserved it. Do you think you're creating a space where men feel comfortable disclosing to you if you, well, that's the thing. I, I think, yeah. I, I wouldn't feel comfortable. I think the problem could be that men are not reporting it because, you know, they feel them escalated. Um, that could be one of the problems. But I guess it just... Like part of the problem, maybe. Yeah. But I'd say... Okay. And I, I, I acknowledge that as well. If I, if I was a man who had been abused and I'd listened to this conversation if I sat here, mm -hmm. I wouldn't tell you anything. I'd be like, wow, this guy is just the same old, mm -hmm. same old narrative. I feel invalidated. I feel victim-blamed. Mm. And I, I'm, I'm certainly not going to tell you, but they might tell me, and they do tell me. Like I, mm -hmm. I, I've got, I've got plenty of DMs I can show you. I'm not going to show you because I, I wouldn't. <laughs> yeah. But hypothetically, yeah, I, I get told all the time. And no, and I, I do accept that. And I think you know, I guess I highlight 
you know why we need to talk about it in that you know that is a bias i have and i'm open-minded to seeing it a different way and i guess it's just very difficult yeah for me to see it that way because i guess i guess just because of how like you know obviously i don't want to say traumatic for me but just listening to what women have described i feel like i'm minimize minimizing what happened to the females yeah. by acknowledging that it can happen to men if that makes sense i mean i'm just trying to say that women can do anything a man can do mm. and i i would hope people believe agree with me when they say that and a woman is capable of amazing things they can lead countries they can run fortune 500 companies and they can abuse men they're equally capable in good or bad that's what autonomy is like choices to make to be good or bad that's what that's, mm. what, that's what women's autonomy is i'm an advocate for women's autonomy are you an advocate or is it just autonomy to do things that you like yeah i guess i was thinking that i generally i just take people as individuals but i mm. guess on on this you've highlighted an area where mm. i'm maybe not and like you say i haven't looked at the data i'm trying to like I'm bending over to try and justify my position with the data. Like, oh, maybe this, maybe that. But I, I think that's a natural thing. I think people listening would also be thinking that. Yeah, and also I'm happy to tell you what you want me to say. And I, I have, pretty, I think practically every single one of my ex-girlfriends has experiences of sexual and physical abuse. Like I no way want to diminish or undermine what they're saying mm. or their experiences. Like they break my heart. I obviously can't get to detail. It's not my place to, but mm-hmm. I share your worry and concern but i want to solve the whole problem and like all equations you've got to look at both sides yeah and i'm trying to look at it as a complete picture and i want to break the cycle of violence i don't want to just solve half the problem and that, like i said like people who experience violence are more likely to be violent themselves am yeah. i only looking at half those people i don't think you're ever going to solve the problem and the problem hasn't been solved like the violence against women frameworks are not not, not that effective because they don't look at the whole picture in the way that I want to look at the whole picture. And that going back to what you said about um, domestic homicide, which thankfully, I hate this, it's an interesting point of view. And you're right that women make up about three quarters of people killed by their partner. First of all, it's not the one in four are men. Second of all, domestic homicide is, is a very, thankfully, a very small percentage of all abuse. Like we're talking about tiny, not point whatever percent. Um, and third of all, that's only homicide. If you look at suicides, that are caused by abuse, so domestic violence, suicides, men are overrepresented there, about 80%. And if you include suicides that are caused by abuse, there are actually more male deaths as a result of abuse than female. So that's why I want to talk about the whole picture, mm-hmm. including suicides, including corollary deaths, including police, police deaths from a lot. Of, some people are killed by police when they respond to domestic violence, mostly men. Corollary victims are family members and new partners that are not directly involved in the abuse that are killed uh, as a sort of secondary victim, mostly men. And I want to bring that all into the picture and show it as a not, not a gendered issue. That is, first of all, bilateral. Secondly, not gendered. Third, caused by a multiplicity of causes, not just male power and control. So do you think with most of these issues that the solution is to just be saying that, you know, okay, we've achieved our goals of lifting women up, let's say, or prioritizing women so now we should just start you know not using gender when we look well at i would some say issues. not achieve those i mean women still experience significant problems and i don't think you 
lift, I mean, lift like one a... side up by dragging the other side down. I mean, I want to keep lifting women up, but I just want to be like, there's also half the population are not being lifted up or not being lifted up in these specific ways. Let's talk about both. And that's, I that's guess, what I mean. Like, yeah. um, so instead of, you know, looking at female domestic violence, just domestic violence and the same with, you know, job application and we shouldn't be looking at the gender of people being recruited mm. maybe just yeah I, I'm, all, I'm all for that there's, a, there's an interesting study in in australia where they wanted to bring more women into i can't remember what it was i think it's a governmental uh, organization where they wanted to bring more women in so they were like we're going to remove gender from tvs to bring more women in and they found that they ended up hiring more men so even more men are being hired so then they were like oh and then they brought names back so then they could go back to discriminate against the men it's no, even that's so interesting. I don't know if you've applied for a job in Europe, but it's so brutal. You have to have a photo on your CV. So the jobs go to Crazy. attractive people. Yeah, I mean, that's something no one talks about, like pretty privilege. Yeah, even and, they get less jail time, less prison time yeah. less, if you're attractive. Yeah, and like, but going back, to your, going back to your first question, I mean, I would like to say we should be treating the issue, not the gender. Mm. The issue is domestic violence. Anyone can experience domestic violence. And in the way we currently address domestic violence now is that we don't help men. So the, the, the Duluth model, which started this conversation, is the most widely adopted framework for identifying abuse in the world. Mm -hmm. It's a piece of feminist framework whose own founder said doesn't work. And she, it was undermined by its own founder, Ellen Pence. And yet we still stick with it. Paints all abusers as men, all victims as women. And that's like a very one-sided approach. And then if, if you're in favor of that, I think particularly in modern times when um, there's so many different types of relationships with trans people, with different mm. types of lesbian, gay relationships, having all abusers as men doesn't fit. Well, that's what I mean. That's what I do not understand about the feminist movement. One of the things I love about the feminist movement is how it leaves no one behind. If you're a member of the intersex community, which is about 1% of the population, you have your own day, you have your own flag, you have your own initial in the, in the lgbtq alphabet and they're, they're given visibility the intersex community and that's just one percent no one's left behind but if male victims of abuse are 33 percent they are left behind like why are you, like i guess the question to you is how small a, of a percent do men have to be of a problem before you're happy just to get rid of them completely because i would say if it's just one man being abused i think he should be in the conversation it's a good question. So, like, when I set up my podcast... But what is the actual answer to that question? I want I want you to put a, n a number to it. Like, what, 10%? 5%? I, I think, like, no matter how big the percentage... I think so the bigger the percentage is, the worse the discrimination is, surely. Like, at 50%, if you're discriminating against 50% of the people, that's kind of worse, almost. Yeah, you know, it's a huge minority. That's, like... Like, the first minority you address is, like, the biggest minority, I guess, because they're the most vocal. Yeah. And then you kind of work your way down. Normally is what happens, I think. Wow, I mean, we've never, like, we women never got, worked women down. Women kind of like got their rights, and then it kind of like became, you know, like my, like racial minorities, religious minorities. It's like, and then we're like, then we got like nine stuff. We got to like disabled rights, but we never, we've never arrived at that level for male victims of abuse. Like there was no help for men. Like hmm. so we're talking like one percent of maybe we're the last minority because we were the majority at the beginning of this journey. Maybe we're like the last ones to help because of that. I don't know. Um, I, I guess it's interesting. When I set up the podcast, um, working in the job I did before, I always felt there was a really big problem with young men. Mm. Not all young men, but I always felt that there was this huge 
percentage of men, like this kind of underclass of men, yeah, where they couldn't interact with women, they had mm. no social skills, they were not good in the workplace mm. because of these poor social skills too. Mm. And I feel like they were trapped, you know, living with parents or in a dead end job yeah. with no opportunities. And like, they're the people I wanted to help. Mm. Um, and I, I always thought that it was about developing social skills, um, and developing, just getting them confidence enough in themselves, like, you know, physical fitness, dressing well, yep. being able to talk to the opposite sex, being able to talk to your fellow men. Mm. And I felt that would fix a lot of problems in their life. Yeah. And like, that's where I was going when I started, you know, focusing on men's issues. Mm. I guess I never thought about it until I met, saw your, what you do, that there might be a, a bigger issue causing it. Like, do you think there is, like, what do you think the causes of this, like, kind of underclass that I'm referring to? Like, why are they falling behind? And now we're talking about the same groups. I mean, I'm always apprehensive about giving, because I've, I've just been talking about patriarchy theory is used as a solvable solution to mm. numerous, very disparate problems. Like, patriarchy causes things like the pay gap, and it causes things like women not having pockets. Mm-hmm. And it causes body sound. It causes so many things, apparently, that that's why I don't like it. It's too broad of an answer. So I wouldn't want to then substitute in one of my own answers. So I mean, my actual answer would be, it really depends on what you're talking about. Like mm-hmm. We need to have a specific conversation again. But I do feel like there is uh, one of the common denominators, I think, that links a lot of the issues I talk about is male disposability, where we just see men's lives and health as just less valuable well-being is less valuable than a woman's and i think that's a very interesting phenomenon that you know will step over a homeless man will step over 10 homeless men to go and help the homeless woman now everyone's seen those weird tiktok tests where you know a, a woman assaults a man uh it's all the tests and in, mm-hmm. a, in a public space everyone wants to help um, sorry, no one does anything. When she's assaulting the, the man, no one does anything to help. It's Everyone's like laughing and pointing. And then they'll do the same same test again, same people, and he'll start doing the exact same, shoving her. Mm. And suddenly all the vigilantes swarm, like swarm in and help her, which is quite right. But I think male disposability is a very interesting phenomenon. I suppose it's like the whole women and children first thing. I was seeing it playing out right now in Palestine, in Gaza, where men and women children being obliterated in horrific scenes and i only ever hear about women and children and i'm like what are men not being killed as well are they what are they just being let out and we we always hear headlines like a hundred people killed in earthquake including 15 women and children and i feel like we just erase men from the conversation men and boys Mm. Uh, and that's male disposability i mean the more the more complex insight into it's called gamma bias which is another theory that's been developed by Martin Seeger, John Barry, who are two psychologists. And they say we systematically exaggerate, overemphasize or focus in on gender when it comes to perpetration and privilege. So we, we talk about male privilege, male perpetration. Whenever, some, whenever a man does something bad, we, we associate it heavily to his gender. Mm. Or whenever a man is privileged, we associate that to his gender. And, that, and then we simultaneously erase gender when it comes to um, victimhood and celebration. So when a man is killed or a boy is killed, we don't really hear their gender in the same way that we do for women. 
So like it, it played out in real terms in London, I think about two years ago, deadliest year on record for teenage knife crime. Mm -hmm. And that's all you'd hear, teenage knife crime, 30 teenagers killed, 31 teenagers killed. But mm, only, but no one knows that every single one of those teenagers was a boy. And that's what I mean. Like we don't, we erase boys being mm -hmm. stabbed and we just say teenagers. And uh, that creates a very uh, contorted narrative. It's it, sad it's only news when it's a girl or... Exactly. Yeah. And then there was a, I can't remember her name, but a young woman was killed this year, uh, last year, 2023. A ho horrible crime. And she was stabbed to death by a boy. And it was, again, headline news. Sadiq Khan, mayor of London, was, again, talking about a scourge or epidemic of violence against women. People were sending me DMs like, why are you not talking about it? And I was like, for the same reason I'm not talking about the 14 boys I was stabbed to death this year. Mm -hmm. Like, 14 boys consecutively stabbed to death last year. No one said anything. And then the first girl gets stabbed to death. And everyone's talking about it. It was front page news. And it's like, it's hard to have this conversation because obviously they are, all they are all tragedies. Every single loss is a tragedy. Mm -hmm. But it's an interesting insight that we only ever talked about it in a national way, at least, when it was the young woman, girl being stabbed. I think she was 15. Mm. And I'm like, that, that is causing, that's creating this idea that men can walk the streets and feel safe, which I always hear, like, male privilege is being able to walk the streets at night, not fear for your safety. And I'm like, men are way more at risk to knife crime, being murdered, being assaulted than women. That's not to say women shouldn't also fear, but men should fear too. I also have an issue with this because, like I said, the circles that I'm more mixing in is around just getting people to recognise sexual assaults yeah. and rapes and breaking down the stereotypes that it is a stranger. You know, it's usually someone you know or a colleague. Right, that's what... And at the same yeah. time, they're telling us that and then they're also saying, oh, but as a woman, you don't feel safe. That's what I mean. And, but it's like, which one do you want? It's, it has, it's the contradictory. This, yeah, this meme of like... I'm, everyone has a right to feel, uh, be mindful of their safety mm -hmm. and we should all do what we can to help others feel safe. If that means crossing the road, if that means, you know, giving someone a bit of space, do it. That's great. All for that. Everyone can feel, and everyone should, should feel mindful about their safety. But this idea that this meme, memification of sexual violence, where it's happening out in the street and bus stops and stuff, although it does happen. As you rightly said, that's very unhelpful. The majority of rapes happen behind closed doors. So women fearing for their safety whilst walking the streets from sexual violence, and then they go home where they're most at risk, and I guess they let their guard down, or they're not. We're creating a very warped narrative. Not only in the sense that what I said about men are also vulnerable, but women are vulnerable in other places, more vulnerable in other places. And I'm like, it's such a misleading and uh, just inappropriate warping of the narrative it's like mm. it's it's dangerous i think no i would agree with that it's... yeah and it's just you're, you're not you're painting a false picture of sexual violence mm. basically and it hurts everyone no, absolutely and i guess i just want to bring it on to the topic of the manosphere yeah, right. just because there are lots of people talking about male issues yeah and I think we both have a mutual, not hatred, but like, a bit of disdain cringe. for, um, you know, a lot of these like red pillars and yeah, anti-feminists, um, <laughs> right. like the Pearl Davis type. I hate her. I was looking. <laughs> I take it as a personal insult how often I'm recommended her content on Twitter 
even on the way here, I'm like, I do not like this. Hide this content. On the way here, I was just like, hide it, hide it. Tweeting her, like, calling her an idiot. She is horrible. She's and playing like, a, a character, right? She's a cartoon character. Yeah. And like, same with Andrew Tate. I, always, I mean, everyone always expects me to insult him. He's a misogynist. I hate him. Scum, mm. Scumbag. So is Pearl. But I just feel like he's a cartoon character. I don't take him seriously enough to be offended by him. I'm just like, he is just... He's worked out what he needs to say to get clout, and he's just saying it again and again and again. Ramping it up, if anything. He's trying to just... He's just... It's not... Andrew Tate is not the threat. The threat is how many people listen to him. But that's what's really scary. There's always going to be some idiot shouting, shouting, shouting misogynistic slurs. But why are so many people listening? And I'd say probably because the men and boys following him are, have been neglected, left behind, uh, insulted by progressives, the left wing mostly. Like they're not being listened to, they're not being talked to or listened to. Mm. They're being let down. And so they're looking for someone else to who does listen to them. They've stumbled into this group of grifters and misogynists who looks like they're listening, but they're actually just trying to exploit them. And they're just following, they're loving it. And I was like, that's, that's the real lesson. Why are so many people following Andrew Tate and Pearl? And I would say they've been neglected because there's no one else. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I know, something I've noticed, especially since coming back here, um, you know, we did some interviews on the street and yeah. people are using their talking points like, in normal conversation. Yeah. And it's... yeah. It's scary, mm. and I do feel that there is, um, there is, and it's a decent percentage of young men yeah. actually listening to them and actually, yeah, now become like because when I was growing up, like it was never it was pretty equal. Like we're pretty modern. Like I think most millennials growing mm. up, um, like men and women weren't really there wasn't any issue or something. Like, oh, women are not women less and doesn't none of this no stereotypes existed by then you know and or if they did i didn't notice them i don't know um, i just felt we i grew up very equal um always had a lot yeah. of women in the workplace women bosses so it just was normal for me mm. and now same it seems like maybe younger people and maybe some disgruntled people my age are not seeing that and they're seeing women as inferior and mm. as um property almost yeah and it's a big movement. It's yeah. not no. something to be. I think he was the he's the fastest. I think he was the fastest growing influencer of all time. I think in this heyday. Uh, and I, mean, I, same as you. I, uh, I, my childhood is blessed. My life has been blessed by so many powerful, strong, courageous women. Mm. And I'm just like, I don't. When I watch that content, I'm like, I do not know what you're talking about. And it is a serious problem. Like I said earlier, I think like, like I said, fifty percent of young people don't think that if someone doesn't fight back it's not rape and they don't understand what consent is and i'm like it's i don't think it's a coincidence that that's happening at the same time as this emergence of the uh andrew tate and his army of misogynists i think that those two are linked together and the manosphere i just i hate i hate it for so many reasons that everyone else hates it Plus my own reasons on top of that. I hate it because it makes me look bad. Because people think I'm one of them. And I'm like, definitely not. Mm. I hate the term manosphere for the same reason. I don't like the term the patriarchy. It's got this very vague spook. I reckon we'll have well, just as a productive comment. I don't know what the hell that manosphere is. In the same way, I don't know what the pa I... It's like spooky, scary. The manosphere. Well, I often get my own arguments dismissed just because it's like, oh, another white guy over a podcast. <laughs> and then know? it's like, it's <laughs> called it incel. Yeah, well, uh, same. <laughs> and, uh... 
I mean, the best way of looking at the manosphere, the best way I know of delineating what the manosphere is, is it's sort of four groups of people. You have the men's rights activists. Mm -hmm. And the men's rights activists are trying to change the system. So they're petitioning government. They're trying to change laws. They're trying to get rid of things like the Duluth model. They're trying to change the Children's Act. They're trying to change the Sexual Offences Act so women can be held guilty of raping men. And then they're trying to change the system. And then you have um, the, the red pillars. And they're happy with the system and they're trying to exploit it. Um, and uh, so they're basically the grifters, the pickup artists and all those mm. people. They're trying to, they're happy about it. So they're like, yeah, let's make the most of this system. And then you have the MGTOWs, which stands for men going their own way. Oh, that, that's... And they want to leave the system. So they, MGTOWs want to leave the system. Uh, and the red pillars want to exploit the system. Men's rights activists want to change the system. And together they are the manosphere. <laughs> But I mean, who knows? I mean, everyone's got their I own would, opinion. I would throw the fitness guys in there as well. I think they can be quite harmful for men. Who are we talking about? Let's name some names. In, in general, I, I just, I just feel there's so much emphasis placed on, you know, to be masculine, you have to be, you have to look like a bodybuilder. Yeah. And that look is so artificial. Mm. It's dangerous. Mm. Like the diet, I think, is dangerous. The, yeah. The all these supplements, all these scam. I mean, it, there's no evidence. Dehydration. Yeah, um, yeah, steroids and like people like boys, men are having their legs broken. And Heard about that, having their legs broken, and you have like titanium rods put into your legs and it extends excruciating oh, pain. Wow, it can make you about three inches taller, cost a fortune, it, horrifically painful. And and this is my biggest issue because I just think that we should, yeah, growing up, I thought we got way past this idea that you know, you know boys wear blue and girls wear pink yeah i just thought it was supposed to be about being an individual yeah being free doing mm. what you want um and i think we're losing that somehow um by just having this one very narrow view of masculinity and you know what if you're not you know do you really have to do fitness to be attractive and to be masculine or can you learn something it's so can you be creative can you you know it's just i just yeah it's just it's like this idea that you know there's only one type of gay person as well you know there's a whole spectrum yeah like many which are very masculine some that are comic book gay yeah you know just seeing people in stereotypes is a bit it's mm. quite harmful i feel like mm. we're going back to that mm. and it's concerning especially as a man that's not you know stereotypically masculine like hey come on <laughs> we <laughs> should not be so over bad. this let's not, not go so backwards <laughs> It's difficult because, I mean, I agree. I feel like we need to find new value systems for men. I, feel, I wish men would find more value and meaning identity outside of the traditional breadwinner role. Mm. The breadwinner role is increasingly difficult to achieve now. Like, we're not living in the 1960s. Women have entered the workplace, quite rightly so. Men can't meet that sort of sole breadwinner. They can't come home and support a whole family on their own. It's just not possible anymore. And I think... Like I'm at the age where many of my friends have children mm. and they shouldn't want to be that. Mm. They should. And then it's so rewarding to being a dad, to co-parent mm. and to co-work. So I, I wish, I wish, yeah, I'd find more, more areas of meaning for men. Mm. So including work, if you want to be, if you want to work and have a great career, that's excellent too. I don't want to shame that. I want to add to that. Uh, and I want to be like, well, why can't you find meaning in fatherhood mm -hmm. or friendships or hobbies, family? Like there's there's more to life than work, uh, trust me there is. I I spent ten years going down the whole work road, and I did pretty well. And now I'm like actually don't feel particularly happy or fulfilled. 
I'm going to come back a little bit. And it makes me sad how many women are following men down that road. I, I, I was going like, to say. I was the whole say CEO boss bitches. I'm like, I promise you, that road is not going to give you what you want. There are so many men that are trying to claw their way out of that. They've spent their whole lives trying to become successful. They've done it. And they're like, I still feel miserable. Yeah, and now women are like, we're yeah. going to do it. And they're like, don't. Like, we bought a ticket to that. It sucks. Get out. Most unhappy I've ever been in my life was when I had a successful business. Yeah, <laughs> it yeah, was yeah. horrible. Well, I, I get no financial return from the Tin Men. It's a massive black hole of finances, emotional sort of work. And it's so much time. But I, it mm. makes me very happy. I think Where, you work harder on that than I do on this. Yeah, oh, honestly. Then you have to several hours, Several hours a day. And I have a business which is successful. Mm. And I'm neglecting that. And that's, that, that earns me money. And that pays my mortgage. And I don't get anywhere near as much happiness and satisfaction out of my money-based business as my massive debt <laughs> accumulating business of the Tin Men. Because you're doing something. Because it means something to yeah. me. And it means something. And I, I just encourage other men to follow me down that road, explore other areas of meaning, because a sense of meaning and mattering is a massive cause, a massive help to reduce male suicide, like giving men the sense of meaning outside of these are very old, outdated roles that are just increasingly inachievable anyway, is a really good way of reducing male suicide, I find. But I also don't want to deny the fact that I, I think men exercising is a really good thing. And I feel, I, I mean, I, it's, it's, I go to gym all the time and it makes people great. I love it. A sense of routine and friendship and bonding. I don't want to, no way I want to shame that. And I do feel like there is such a thing as masculinity and I don't think it's entirely socially constructed. And I do think men and women are not quite the same. So I want to acknowledge both sides. And I, I don't, I don't really know where I draw the line. I, I'm constantly shifting it left to right, left to right. For me, it's just about that there's not this, you know, masculinity isn't just one thing. Just yeah. like. You know, I like, I quite like that, you know, girls like saying, yeah, they can do both, you know, they're a mom and they're good at the yeah. career. And I think that's where maybe where men and women can find some common yeah. ground Yeah, is, you yeah. know, helping each other adapt to this new reality. And I think one of the problems is that like, when I look at athletes, for example, they like them, they encourage footballers to get married young and have a family and to have responsibility mm. because it, it grows you up. It turns you into a man and it creates that stability in your life and meaning in your life mm. and i think we should be encouraging that maybe for everybody maybe our generation has left you know having children too late um maybe we should be you know in a relationship um supporting each other helping each other through it is a turbulent time you know there are a lot of changes in society that we have to get used to and figure out and yeah, but I, I guess I, I I just want people to understand that men have not got the winning ticket in society in every single possible way. Yeah, there are so many. There are certainly women that are stuck at home. My sister was uh, had two children recently, and she's I know she's very much struggled having a child, not being able to return to work. But I also know my brother-in-law who had to go back to work for two weeks feels alienated and left out from his family. And there's like so many men are working full time, fathers are working full time, and they want to be part time parents. And uh, that is the goal. I feel like for most fathers and mothers although probably slightly more mothers the ideal is part-time parenting part-time work i think yeah and too many too much of the conversations about oh women are trapped at home and i'm like they certainly are but there are certainly men that are trapped at work and they want to spend time with their children and mm. again both both exist like I, i'm not trying to deny one i'm trying to say yes but um and say there's, there's two sides to every story and there's a lot of men that wish they could spend more time with their children because if they spend their whole life, my dad did this and he spent his whole life building a very successful career. Barely, barely saw him when I was growing up. And uh, when he retired, he, that was it. Like he didn't have much of a connection with me and my sister. Didn't have many friends because all his friends were tied to work. 
Uh, whereas my mum, who's now retired as well, she's got so many friends, so many girlfriends. And like, mm-hmm. they, they, she made all his girlfriends when she was raising me and my sister. And from like in the nursery and school and whatever else. And she's having a great time in retirement. And like, I feel like the, pe- the men that dedicate their lives to work, not only is that process itself not necessarily fulfilling as it could be, but when they, re- when they retire, it's all over. It's more or less over. And then they're like, well, what, what am I left with? Like my children don't know me. I don't know. I don't know who they are. Mm. I'm like a stranger in my own house, and then that's why so many men die when they retire. Like because it's just... so common. Yeah, it's, it's terrible. I've seen this with you know the older men that I know. Um, it's yeah, they don't adapt as well. I think because they're not as social. Because like you say, they're always at work. So yeah, when the work's gone, their their social but that, circles but, shrunk. But that impossible to have this conversation about also acknowledging the fact that fathers again talking about equal rights men fathers don't have the same right to um parental leave as mothers so mothers oh, really? mothers get like, i thought it'd be the same now. no not in the uk like mothers get but it's difficult mothers is like yeah but it's paid for by the government and their employer mm. men two weeks so a mum, my sister would take a year off work uh and then my brother gets two weeks and that's that's the biggest cause of the pay gap no one talks about that either mm. and um it's like and then simultaneously we're hearing Fathers need to do more. Fathers need to t- pick up the slack, as you've been saying. But I'm like, well, they also need equal rights and equal respect. And you can't expect equal responsibility without giving equal rights. So, yes, equal responsibility, but first equal rights. Mm. And those, that conversation has to happen in tandem. No, I agree with that. I, I, I'm surprised. Right. I just assumed that men had... I just assumed men did have equal rights. With well, there's a few things you've assumed on this yeah, podcast that maybe just, were... <laughs> yeah, well, no, it's, but that's why we do it. So but, that's, we but, can... but, but, but this is a great, way, a great example of how giving equal rights to men benefits women because the pay gap is not experienced by women versus men. It's mothers versus fathers. The big, that's the big gap. Like Mothers are not paid the same as fathers because mothers are at home and fathers are at work. Mm. And fathers often don't want to be at work. They want to be at home. And mothers often want to be at work. So the problem is that when a, when a child is born, like the graph is insane. It's like, like salary over time. And it's like mothers and fathers coming up at the same, but sorry, men and women coming up at the same. Then suddenly the mum comes down, father keeps going. Mm. And it's because they've had a child. And when you've had a child, the father takes two weeks off, but goes back to work, keeps getting promoted, keeps earning more money. The mother stops working and may never return to work. And if she does, it's often part-time. And she's not paid the same as a father. And she shouldn't be because she's working part-time. And he's gone back to work. So the best way of closing the pay gap is giving equal rights, equal parental leave to fathers. Yeah, just if it was me, I would just say give it to the family. Let them split it however they like. Well, you know. yeah, but I also... <laughs> it's such a difficult conversation because oh, <laughs> I'm constantly making like uh, disclaimers, like asterisks yeah, yeah. here and there. I agree. Like there should be a, a shared amount of time and then it's use it or lose it so if the dad doesn't use it can't be given to the mummy it's lost so he has to use it but i also want to do another asterisk and be like childbirth is a traumatic experience for women mm. and she needs to have additional medical leave to recover from that yeah especially process. with I, i'm not a doctor yeah. i don't know how long it is let's say it's a month so both parents get six months she gets an additional month or whatever it should be seven months to her six months to him non-transferable use it or lose it yeah, because things like postnatal depression, postnatal psychosis, they're really common. Yeah, and guess what's they're also really common? common? The same in dads. Oh, really? Yeah. I'm got, I mean, I've, I've done a <laughs> I put up information on that as well, but like the whole idea that sad dads is a very real thing. Mm. I do think that with this parenting thing, 
that I guess I just assumed things were equal, which obviously is bad to assume. Mm. But maybe just I have been living in Europe for a long time and you know have a lot of European friends and yeah, well, there I guess you know some of them are very different. Ahead than than yeah, UK. like France and Sweden, I think we seem to be taking a lot of ideas from Sweden at the minute, and maybe this is one that we should be adopting because I think they treat people pretty fairly. Well, they look at countries where there's a lot of support for having children in Sweden. Well, the countries that support fathers are the ones that have the smallest pay gap, and I'm like, that's why that's where like I said, a win-win where giving fathers equal rights in that case, parental leave is of massive benefit to mothers too. So it's like a win-win, and that's why I'm going back to solving the equation from both sides. Like you can solve women's problems by solving men's problems because they're sort of symbiotically linked. Mm. One causes the other, especially in domestic violence, where that cycle of violence. Yeah, I mean, it, it, that's the most difficult one for me to get my head around, but I think I am open-minded, and I am going to like try to learn more about it and yeah. you know, with an open mind and... I don't know what the solution is to domestic violence. E- even if even if we acknowledge it just as a female problem, I honestly don't know what the solution is because there is just a huge percentage of men and women who will be shitty to their partners. Well, it, and it, it's I mean, just shitty to their partners is underplaying it, but yeah, I yeah, yes. Uh, I'd say you've got to include men who take their own lives as a result of suicide. You've got to remove the gendered model of domestic violence. You've got to take away the Duluth model. We've got to give abused men far more support far more than the one percent support they currently get yeah one of the problems is just you know children that are abused like once they are it's very hard to come back from that no yeah well and it's life-changing and that recognize that it's learned often in childhood uh and i want to i would love to have an investigation into the domestic violence industry for sexism against men like looking at the big charities refuge uk the biggest one in the uk I think it's about ninety-seven percent women employed by that company, that charity, and I'm like, that's hardly going to give a fair, like, analysis of the problem itself. I, I, I met and interviewed the founder of Refuge, and she is one of the probably the most well-known advocates for non-gendered abuse. I think I've seen her speaking, and she's like but... absolutely not. She calls it the big lie. What you're saying, and she founded Refuge, and she set up the first refuge in the world for women. She absolutely says it is not a gendered issue. And when she tried to open a refuge for men, she was kicked out. So, and she got like death threats, bomb threats, and left the country. Wow. Erin Pitsy. Yeah. What an amazing story. Mm. No, and like I say, I'm open minded. I'm definitely going to. But we look can at agree the that's, not the, that's, not, the that's not the solution. That's not the solution. In the UK, men who are abused are literally categorized as victims of, of. Men who are abused are considered victims of violence against women. So literally, yeah, that's just silly. It's crazy. This crazy document the government gave out about 2021, real document. It said male victims who are considered victims of violence against women, and I'm like, can you imagine how invalidating that must feel to be a man, mm. to be considered a victim of violence against women when it's the woman who's perpetrating violence? And I'm like, what next? Like, is it female victims of male homelessness or like women who are victims of male suicide? Like, it's an absurd ideological backward somersault of mental gymnastics and whatever the solution you think it that is not the solution that's yeah. an insult at the very least yeah i don't have solutions <laughs> I, just, uh, I barely have opinions <laughs> well you've got, you've got, you've got i'm opinions. just curious um I, I guess i do have opinions um and feelings and instincts yeah. and um sometimes my instincts and feelings are based on you know, actual data, and sometimes yeah. they're just based on a feeling. Yeah, I get that. People just comment like, 
this doesn't feel right. And I'm like, well, reality yeah. isn't based on your feelings. Like, but I definitely want to do more on that topic. Mm. Um, I, for today, I just wanted to get like just an overview, really, because it's my first time speaking to someone like you. And yeah, you've opened my eyes to a lot of things that I just didn't know about. Um, I'm not going to lie. I just thought we had equality of everything in the UK. Some places, yeah. Uh, maybe I just have like quite a utopian vision of the world. Well, yeah, it's a very optimistic. That's, yeah, that's a big takeaway for me. I mean, we need I'm really we need we need more of that. My God, <laughs> gee, and especially me. But I mean, we haven't talked about education, which is obviously similarly fucked. Like mm. boys. If we've got time, um, one we have, we have some time. Yeah, we can squeeze because you said about education. One thing I've always wondered, and it's just something I've wondered, it yeah. couldn't. It's not based on any statistics or yeah. evidence. <laughs> it's just a feeling. Good. I've always wondered: Are men being left behind economically because a lot of jobs that men have done traditionally are being automated? Yeah, that's such a good point. Aren't and you? yeah, the truth is that men and women are different, and. I would describe myself, I wouldn't say I'm feminine, but I'd say I've got a lot of feminine characteristics where, you know, I am better in like social situations mm. and I am more suited to office work and creative work and mm. like those kind of like people skills jobs. Yeah. And I think I'm quite lucky as a man to have that. But there are a lot of men that skills. just don't thrive in those environments. Like many men that can't really mm. write an email coherently. Yeah. And <laughs> yeah, I know a few of those. And, you know, where do they fit in modern life? Um, you know, there's only like warehouses and Amazon deliveries and everything else yeah. is robots. But those, you know? Yeah, exactly. Robots is automation is a really important topic of conversation. With that, it's going to hurt men more than women. I think some like of the top 15 jobs expected to grow in the next 10 years, 12 are dominated by women. and Three of them are men. One of them is janitor. Mm. Uh, See, I've always worked in female-dominated fields, yeah. like wow. marketing and media you know. well maybe that explains some of your assumptions um yeah exactly i'm not i'm i have plenty of biases but, <laughs> but if you look at jobs that men are dominating in like driving uh heavy industry factory work building things they're, they're all subject to automation now mm -hmm. automation is going to take away those jobs i've seen a later. robot building a house yeah I, <laughs> a bricklaying robot yeah like it's... sooner be cars like lorries like trucks truck drivers mm -hmm. all they're all going to be automated and who who do you think is driving those trucks? It's men. And they're the, one, they're the jobs that are going to be lost. There's going to be an elite batch of men that are doing the engineering and the data science behind sure. it. It's like the STEM yeah. educated guys yeah. where men still dominate. But I really worry about... We've heard of heel. About what we do with all the men. Well, hopefully we train them in what's called heel, which is the acronym no one talks about. It's health, education, admin, literacy. Richard Reeves talks about this, who's uh, sort of like, I guess, in the same area as me, but doing much bigger things. Mm -hmm. And that's all the areas where women dominate that men need to get into, like healthcare, education, administrative, like teaching, for example. Oh my God, like more men in teaching would solve so many problems. Mm, and they used to be, when I was a kid, I'd say men dominated teaching, I think. Or at least at my school, I was mostly men. I mean, I, my school had one male teacher and he left oh, right really? away. And I went back to all women. But the facts are... One in four schools in the UK have no male teachers. Really? There's none. And then the other fact is 80% of teachers are women. And the other fact is that in America, there are twice as many women 
as a share of the population flying military jets and there are men teaching kindergarten. So there's a massive absence of, father, of, of father men in these really important positions that are formative to boys. It's very unusual because I guess I've just had so many male teachers that... Wow, you're one I, of the lucky few. And that's not to say women aren't also important in teaching. I'm maybe, am I a bit older than you, maybe? I'm like 40, so... You're not 40. No, I'm mid-30s. Okay. Uh, well, but, not, much, not much difference. But um, not only does that hurt men, but it hurts boys because when you factor in, like we talked about fatherlessness, there's so many boys, like one in four boys, without any father at home in America. They go to school and there's no men in there either. And they're like, well, who, who do I model my behavior? How do I, how do we socialize these boys? And these are the boys that are becoming violent later in life. They're, they're more likely to turn to addiction or drop out of school or become homeless or, uh, you know, sexually assault women. Like, mm. I'm not trying to say all boys that don't have a dad are going to become predators, but they're more likely to. Uh, and again, that's helped. That's again an example of what I'm talking about where solving both sides of the equation where if we can get more men into teaching, that will help uh, through better role modeling for our boys. Mm. Few of them will turn into Andrew Tate. And also, like, men in schools are less likely to problematize boys' behavior. I was, one, I was a naughty boy in school, but I don't think I was a stupid boy. But I, if you looked at my grades, very stupid. Yeah, I, same. I, I was disengaged. I was bored. I was frustrated. I hated it. I, I acted up. Uh, and I wasn't stupid. And every, every year, my parents would sit me down on my bed and be like, because I try harder, George. And I was just like, why need to tell the fucking school to try harder? Because it's not, I'm not engaged. I hate it. And they never thought about maybe the style of education is just not working for George or boys. And that, that explains why. And here's another fact for you. Boys behind in education, every single stage, in every single country in the West, more or less, with a few exceptions. But boys are behind in education, like almost universally, and have been for decades. Yeah, I... I have like my own personal opinion on this. Like I always excelled when we had a very strict teacher and very strict approach to education. Wow. Um, whereas when it was like a kind of more loose, free, uh, that's when I get distracted, act up, um, didn't pay attention, didn't do what I was told. Um, that's so interesting. And I guess my assumption would be that maybe boys need like more discipline and a more disciplined approach to education. Uh but like I, I based purely on my personal experience. I, I, I couldn't give you a yes or no answer to that. Mm. I, I just don't know. But I know the current way of method of teaching, which is based on long, quiet periods of reading, is not necessarily that effective for boys. I think that boys hate that. A lot of girls hate that too, but it's even less effective on boys. Boys are like, it's pumped for testosterone. They want to be moving around. They want more space. They want to be doing more like kinespatial learning. And I just, I mean, I hated reading. I still don't read books. I listen to, <laughs> listen to audio books. Uh, I, I do the same now. <laughs> I literally looking at a book and I just want to fl- throw it across the room. I actually love reading, but I just like audio books because I can do more at the same time. Yeah. I, I mean, my favorite is like just walking the dog, listen to an audio book mm-hmm. or podcast. It's amazing. But the way we teach kids in school is just really letting boys down. Has the way we teach children changed? Okay. Well, a lot of it, a lot of it's based on like teachers' subjective assessments now. So fewer exams, more teacher assessments, more coursework. That that's when you went from O levels to GCSEs, and that's when boys fell behind. So it was less objective measurements through examinations, and more about subjective assessments by teachers. And that's where you talk about uh, teacher grading bias. So again, a bit like the, the oh, so like they would be like marking down say kids that mess about. Yeah. Well, like we said about earlier about. 
a man and a woman going into court having committed the same crime, she is going to be sentenced more leniently. But in the same way that a boy and a girl go into classroom, same levels of intelligence, he is going to be mocked down. So boys be mocked down with the same ability. And that's, again, that's... And we know this yeah. for certain? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, the education gap is a bias, rather? Partly down to that. Partly down to a lot of different things. Uh, another role model of mine, Mary Kernett Cook, who is the former CEO of UCAS. So UCAS is like basically yeah, they the, are she, the exam. She is the UCAS is a university college admission services. So they oh, yeah. they decide who goes to university, and who doesn't. And Can you she, tell I didn't go. <laughs> I barely went. <laughs> and she was the boss, and she is saying systemic bias against boys, and why she's like, why are we not talking about this? This is absolutely incredible. Like, have we not? Can we not? even comprehend the fact that boys can be disadvantaged honestly i've just been i guess applauding the achievement of um girls doing well i just assumed it was like how um most minorities outperform white people at university now i just thought it was like maybe down to like good family like good motivation i thought oh wow minority girls have like just got their the minority stuff thing's together, different you know? though it's like we can understand a little bit about why, you know, certain, there are certain educational gaps. We can understand why minorities are performing differently to uh, white people. We can understand why people in towns are different to cities. We can understand why older generations are doing differently to. But, did, but the gap between boys and girls is different because these are people going to the exact same school from the exact same families and the exact same areas, and boys are doing worse. So it's like we. Yeah. So I just thought it meant that, oh, girls are just like maybe they're better at these sort of like soft because like men are doing better in like stem subjects um so i, I just thought it was like a natural phenomena i thought yeah. okay maybe girls just achieve more in most university courses uh there's lots of reasons for but i mean i, I was just an assumption well so i guess i'm surprised to hear that there's biases yeah i mean COVID, in the education covid19 gave us a really great chance to study it because exams are obviously cancelled there were no exams in covid because of lockdown so it was all based on teacher assessments. So I was like, what a great exact chance to actually look at this bias in the real world, not even inside the study. And although both boys and girls did better, girls did even better than boys. So mm. the gap opened up even more. And then when, it went, when exams came back, it shrunk. So it's really, again, O-levels, which are largely based on exams, and went to GCSEs, which are more teacher assessments. That's when the gap opened up. So we've got these really great real-world examples of it happening. Yeah, I remember, like doing a long time ago but i remember doing gcse's and hating coursework so much i just saw it as so pointless and i didn't really I hate, do it i hate old school i was just just awful like yeah i just and that just needed like more, more vocational learning is another thing that boys excel at and stem itself is interesting too because that i mean that's a whole subject in its own quite literally but um did you realize biology is not a stem subject yeah did you realise, like, psychology is not a STEM subject? I don't even think it's a science, is it? Do you realise, like, medicine and nursing, they're not STEM? Is medicine not? No. Huh. Why do you not? Why do you not think they're? It's because women are overrepresented, and they don't care. It's, STEM is just a political neologism, where they've basically selected all the sciences where boys are ahead, physics, chemistry, and they're like, oh, this is STEM now. Oh, I thought it was just... Um... And it's it's just mostly bullshit my opinion if you look if you look at all the sciences if you actually take all the ucas subjects or all the sciences technology uh engineering and maths 
and you compare there's actually more women in STEM than men. And like if you actually include things like biology, which is obviously a science, but not a STEM subject. But it, biology is like the easy one though, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, not not <laughs> like, for me, mate. But everyone's just like no. I just I just always felt that like, you know, chemistry and physics and mathematics that Hard they're harder, is, yeah. Yeah, but I mean like, like, biology is more like you should speak to my mum. She would have uh -oh. a few things to say about I'm in that. trouble. Yeah, honestly, she would yeah, few like psychology, words. I really don't what, see as a. What science. about neuroscience? That's got the word science in it, not a stem. I thought subject. that word. It's not. Not no. really. It's like medicine subjects allied to medicine is what it's called, and that's psychology, pharmacology, toxicology. I, I'm surprised at neuroscience not being in there. And everyone's like, nursing's not a science. I'm like, look, literally, open the nursing handbook. It is just science, science, yeah. science, science, and it's so insulting to nurses. Because it's like that the care they're it's giving is like, It's yeah. hard work. Yeah, and I'm like, they are STEM students, in my opinion, but the political concept of STEM, they're not part of it. And if you include all of sciences, objectively speaking, uh, women are not underrepresented. Mm. And it's just like you're just forgetting the fact that in two thirds of university degrees, men are underrepresented. No one talks about those ones. It's all this obsession of a STEM. Mm. And I, yeah, I want to have more women in engineering and physics and chemistry, but guess what? I want more men in teaching English and whatever soft sciences we talked about, biology. Yeah, well, I've learned loads today. <laughs> like, yeah. And yeah, I've really had my mind opened. Um, and I guess the biggest thing for me is um, I don't, I'm not trying to solve any of these problems, but I think it's important to talk about them. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm sure there's lots of counters to your arguments that I didn't think of. So, <laughs> well, you know, there's people too. I'm really curious what people make of it and make of the clip. I, I, I mean, I've that. sat in your seat before. I mean, I've 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 sat in the seat and like learned a lot. And I, I've the most beneficial conversations I've ever had are the ones where I've been proven wrong. So I feel like I'm the one that's learning. Mm -hmm. Not I'm saying I'm proving you wrong, but I like to have these conversations. I like to be where you're sat. And the people that hate me, some of them mutual friends of ours, let's put it that way, they do not want to talk to me. And each of them have a DM in their inbox right now being like, hey, want to chat online, offline, in private, public? Do you want to have a chat about these differences? And they do not want to have a chat to me. That's and just losing the argument. And I'm just like, oh, it's just not having the argument at all. It's, it's gutless. And I would welcome any of these people to talk to me, even people that disagree with me the most. Uh, they're the ones I want to talk to the most. Mm -hmm. And I would have a lot of respect for you to having this conversation with me and being open to having your mind changed. And yeah, I want to have I more. Do. I do fall more on the woke side of politics usually, but then often I don't. What does that word even mean? I don't know anymore, but I guess like more liberal. I'm very socially what liberal. What does that word even mean? Like, I, like um, for me, socially liberal is like being like kind of free to do, you know, like I am very pro-gay marriage and mm. all that stuff. I'm just, as long as you're not hurting anyone, do what yeah. you want is my attitude. What about liberal markets? And I'm also very liberal economically. Yeah, okay. But I've had a lot of assumptions challenged yeah. um, on both of those What about now. freedom? Of, well, liberal, being liberal is about being liberal, classical liberal in terms of like freedom of everything. At the moment, I'm, I, I used to classify myself as a libertarian, but I've been challenged <laughs> and like, proven wrong on that so many times. I want to, yeah. Well. My, my biggest thing at the moment is that I've always been seeing freedom of speech as like a kind of a human right. Mm. And now I'm not so sure because... Well, that's a I see, I see, so many people that have been poisoned by really, really harmful information, which is obviously wrong, and just seeing good people have their minds twisted and 
hold some quite mm. evil views now. Mm. People that never thought that way in the past. Um, mm. I don't want to name names because um, that's unfair. But mm. seeing that has really just made me like think. I don't know who's supposed to, who we can trust to gatekeep information. It sounds wrong on its face. But yeah, almost all my views have been challenged over the last few years. Um, I'm kind of more centrist now. I'd say maybe like center left, yeah. center right well, on some we're issues. Pretty similar on that. I'm mm. more liberal than I am left, though. I'd say, and I guess on in the ethos of liberalism, obviously one part of that, big part of liberalism, maybe the biggest part is about individualism. Mm-hmm. Now it's about forefronting the individual uh, profile ahead of the group. So you're not uh, a white straight man. You're Tommy. I'm not a white straight man. I'm George. Yeah. I'm defined more by my personal experiences and my individual ideas than I am by the color of my skin, my sex and sexuality. And I'm like, that I hope should be the title of this podcast, maybe. <laughs> like <laughs> your individual identity is far more important than your group identity. And that's not to say my group identity doesn't matter at all. Like obviously, I'm shaped by the fact I am white and a man, but it's not as it's not more important than my individual experiences. Mm-hmm. And that's what I love about liberalism. It's about forefronting the individual and like stepping away from groups. Which is why, I, which is why my question is like, what even is liberalism? Because liberalism now is the opposite of that. People seem to think it's about groupthink. Well, people keep changing words, and well, it's frustrating me. It's like that's progressivism. Like, like, that's what that is. Like even gender is a very new word. Mm. And, I think it's causing a lot of confusion to people and a lot of arguments that don't need to happen. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of arguments. Things. Like fascist has lost all its meaning. Yeah. Genocide has yeah. lost all its meaning. Yeah. And I, I am not saying that, you know, what's happening when people <laughs> use these words is, yeah. is well, not true. But like, let's just use correct labels for things. Let's just be a little bit more responsible with language. I think. Yeah. And let's, and also grant a bit more good faith to the people that disagree with you uh, and that make subtle, disi- make subtle distinctions on what you're saying, ask more questions, listen more mm-hmm. and don't assume men are defined by the fact that they're men, like there's far more to men than just their gender and we need to put this obsession with men as a group is just mm. really damaging and try to see the individual sat in front of you and not a collection of chromosomes and genitals and whatever else yeah, I completely agree. And like I say, I think we had a good conversation today and I'd love to go into some of these in lots of detail. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. One day, maybe with people that disagree. Who knows? Bring them. Like There's that. a seat there. <laughs> we've, got... Seat there. Hey, we've got four seats here, guys. Come on. No, I think there's people that would come on. I'd love to, as long as we're not shouting at each other. Yeah, I, I really... I I just don't like when people start attacking each other. Like, just talk about the issue. When issues. someone starts calling me names which happens all incel virgin i'm just like goodbye like you've <laughs> lost the argument you you're really stupid when you start flinging around person yeah but the worst thing is when they do that they block you and then you can't reply it's like yeah Ugh. well just let it go <laughs> let it go all right well thanks so much um, that was really good and uh, yeah you. i genuinely learned a lot and like there's loads of things i want to look up and read about now and i think that's follow the tin men yeah <laughs> and follow that's other it. accounts as well by the way not just me. yeah i'll link to everything and um yeah 